Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Always good to be joined in the studio by my beautiful wife, Dana. How you doing, honey? I am very happy to be here. We, I think we have some great questions here for you, so this will be a lot of fun. Okay. There have been a lot of questions asked in our class and questions that Dana teaches a lot of Bible These have been asked lots and, of different places. Yeah. And, uh, and she does a great job them. of answering questions herself, but she's always saying, oh, I want to hear your take. I want to hear your take. So go ahead. Let's hear some of these great Bible questions. Yeah, and pretty much all I can answer is what I've heard you say, and I've learned... I've learned a tremendous amount by listening to your answers, but it is fun to ask you questions because you don't seem to, nothing seems to throw you. You're always able to. Oh, I uh, wish, I wish that were true, sweetheart. I'm just glad you weren't around for all the times when they did, but I appreciate the compliment anyway. uh, What I will say is that you always have thoughts about it to at least to a certain level and then if you need to find more, you go and research and come back and you just start with such a leg up that. Most of us are just uh, so happy to have answers from you. So I think one of the things that would be interesting to start with, and I heard you teach this just in this last month or so, and I had never heard this before. You divided the Bible into two different parts that I had never heard about. And, you know, those of us that grew up in the church or were Catholic, we all know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Those are the two parts most of us know about. But you divided the Bible into part one, which was Genesis one through three, the creation. And then you said part two was the whole rest of the Bible. Can you explain that? Yeah, of course, obviously there is an Old Testament and a New Testament, and they are important divisions, but that actually means covenants. The old covenant, the old agreement between God and human beings that God made through Moses, and then the new one through Jesus Christ, where we enter a personal relationship with him through his spirit. When I I first started doing this years ago when I was doing campus ministry in Santa Barbara, it was one of those through the Bible courses, and I was trying to simplify things in in the whole message of the Bible, because we can get so bogged down. We start reading Genesis and the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, and then we get to Leviticus, and it's like... There's some good information in Leviticus. There's some great information in Leviticus, but there's also a lot of stuff when they're they're talking about scraping the mildew off your ceiling and all the cubits and dimensions. It's, it's, It's not light reading. We'll just put it that way. But to simplify things, the reason I said Genesis 1 through 3, as you said, the creation of the world, but not just the creation of the world. Creation of the world, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the fall into sin. And then the rest of the Bible is God trying to bring us back. Right from the beginning, almost immediately, people started making animal sacrifices. And those were typifying what Jesus was later going to do ultimately on the cross. And I think that's kind of cool to be connected back to the Old Testament. I hadn't thought about it that way. So... With that in mind, with the the Bob Siegel version of the division of the of the Bible, which I think just helps us understand just the purpose of it, is there or are there parts to the Bible that are more important than other parts? 
Well, I would say the new covenant is more important in the sense that it's the one we're presently living under, but that doesn't mean that the old covenant in its day wasn't the most important thing for those people. I guess so that would be my brief answer. So what do you mean by new covenant and old covenant? The new covenant is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ okay. was God incarnate. He died on the cross for our sins, which is our selfishness. One enters into a relationship with God by confessing their selfishness, by... Uh, realizing that they, even though they could change some of their actions, they can't change their thoughts or their motives or their hearts, asking God to forgive them, receiving God's spirit into their hearts. It's a supernatural experience, entering a relationship with God in which God is slowly but surely raising us as his children. Now, one of the questions, here's how it relates to the old covenant. One of the questions I get all the time is, well, if Jesus is the way of salvation, what about all the people that lived before Jesus? Well, at least part of the answer to that is during the Old Testament It's true that Moses and King David and Abraham, they they didn't understand that there was going to be a person known as Jesus. But under the law of Moses, they did understand that when they sinned, there needed to be a, a, a substitutionary atonement. So there were these animal sacrifices that were made, sometimes goats, sometimes lambs. Now, the blood of those animals didn't really atone for those people. It was typifying what Jesus was really going to do. So the Old Testament law is in two parts. The ritual law, a lot of that is the animal sacrifices. And then the moral law, which is don't kill, don't steal. The moral law has been fulfilled through the Spirit of God. If God's living in our heart and just helping us to be more loving, we don't need commandments like don't kill, don't steal. We're just naturally not going to want to do those things. And of course, the animal sacrifices are fulfilled in the cross. Okay. So I hear people say that they believe that we're still under the law. When people are saying that, what do they mean by we're still under the law? You're talking about covenants, but this is a different word. Yeah. The law is another, the law of Moses is the old covenant. So it is another okay. way. Yeah. They don't mean, so when they it's say not we're a debate still about whether we're supposed law. to follow a speeding law. Of course, we're supposed to obey the governing authorities. They mean the law of Moses given on Mount Sinai. And are we still under that law? No, we are not still under that law. And sometimes I meet Christians who say that we are. But what's interesting is this was going on even in Paul's day. There were people that tried to say they were still under the law, but they were cherry picking. In Galatia, they were making a big deal out of circumcision, one of the laws. It was an initiatory rite. And Paul said, if you're going to go back to the law, you have to go back to all of it. When somebody today says, I follow the law, I say, really? About half those laws were animal sacrifices. When's the last time you made an animal sacrifice? And they say, oh, well, uh, we can't do that today because we don't have a temple. I said, yeah, but from Moses to King Solomon, they were making animal sacrifices. Those were hundreds of years, and that was all before the temple. So that's not a really good excuse that we don't have the temple. So that's the reason they use. That's that's not accurate. So so nobody does it. There might be somebody who says, oh, well, I celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday and not Sunday, or I like to celebrate the Passover. That actually is the next question. Oh, Oh, You kind of jumped us into... um, I'm good at jumping us into things. (laughs) You are, actually. So the next question, what day really would be the Sabbath? And how do we know that? The Sabbath is a celebration of, you go back to the six days of creation. Now, I know a lot of Christians argue, was it six literal days or six periods of time? But whatever it was, we're told that on the seventh day, God rested. They don't mean that God needs to take a rest like a human being does. He's God. They mean he stopped creating. 
the creation ceased. And so under the law of Moses, God commanded people to do this ritual. He says, as I created the world in six days and then rested, you will work six days and then you will rest. That day of rest was Saturday. Now, the reason there's a lot of arguing about whether it's Saturday or Sunday, in the early church, they started meeting on Sunday, but they didn't meet on Sunday because they didn't know when the Sabbath was. The early church was made up almost 100% of Jews, Greeks, Romans, Gentiles, they didn't start coming until later. Believe me, the Jews in Jerusalem or the church, they knew when the Sabbath was. They weren't meeting on Sunday because it had anything to do with the Sabbath. They were meeting on Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. So if we wanted to get technical and say, when's the Sabbath day? Is it Saturday or Sunday? It's actually on Saturday. However, The truth is, under the new covenant, we're not obligated to take any day like that at all. Now, it's still a good idea to take a rest. Dana and I are both real, what people would call workaholics. We both have to discipline ourselves to stop what we're doing. It's a good idea to take a vacation, take a rest, take a day off. I'm not saying that isn't a good practical thing to do. It is. But as far as it being this command, that was a command under the old covenant. And again, the old covenant has been fulfilled in Christ. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, It's the beginning of us someday returning to heaven, which is returning to paradise, where our answers just got kicked out of. The paradise that the world once was, that God and all of us were supposed to enjoy, that celebration after the creation, returning to that celebration, that peace, that paradise. That's the true Sabbath. So again, we want to get technical. The real day was Saturday, not Sunday. But the truth is we're not under any obligation to that command at all. In the book of Colossians, it says, let no one pass judgment on you regarding a Sabbath day. These were but a shadow of the things to come. The substance, however, is found in Christ. And that's interesting because God still does want us to fellowship with other Christians, to worship. So it's an interesting thing to think about. I know growing up, my family, we we always went to church. That was, uh, I was raised in a Christian home and several generations back, there are believers in my family. And Sunday was a real day of going to church. And be, and I just love that. I love being able to go to church in the morning and be with my friends and be with my family. And then the afternoon was family time and being together. Sometimes it might have been our community having a big lunch together or a picnic or something like that. But it was more of a leisurely day in my childhood growing up. Sundays for us now are definitely not our leisurely day. It's it's one well, of our and, biggest work days for us. Yeah, it's not a rest for anybody involved. Anybody that's teaching Sunday school, the pastor and preaching, the ushers, the Sunday school workers, the idea that that's a day of rest. Yeah. To me, a rest is taking a day off and going and laying on the beach. That's a rest. Yeah. And again, that's a good thing to do. But we're talking about whether it's a ritual that we have to obey now. That was true under the old covenant that is not true under the new covenant. That's great. Thank you for that clarification, just so people can understand. Yeah. And I should say that even when you clarify it, those are fighting words for a lot of people. I'm sure there's somebody listening right now and they just don't agree with me. And that's fine. Like my professor in seminary always used to say, everybody's entitled to their heresy. So if you don't agree with me, that's perfectly fine. All right. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. How did God talk to the prophets of the Old Testament? And there were many of them. And so this person, it was, I thought it was such a great question. So what did God do 
to communicate with the prophets of the Old Testament? Well, the first thing he did is he got an account on Twitter, honey. And the second thing he did is he got an account on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there's a TV show about God having an account on Facebook called God Friended Me. All right. When he spoke to prophets, uh, there were a lot of different ways he spoke to them. Sometimes in a dream, sometimes in a vision, which is like a dream, except you're awake when it's happening. There were times when he just spoke to them with an audible voice right out of the sky, like he did with Moses on Mount Sinai. So there was a wide variety of ways in which he would speak to the prophets. And then the prophets would go and speak to people, but they'd have to do something to verify that what they got came from God. A lot of times they would give a short range prediction to go with the long range prediction. But a prophet it has to be 100% accurate. I don't mean they're 100% accurate as a human being in everything they do, but when they're claiming to speak for God, when their words are prefaced with something like, thus saith the Lord, then they darn well better really be repeating what God told them. So it'd be fair to say that God continues to speak to human beings today in similar ways and in a variety of ways as he did with the prophets of Bible Yes, he can continue to send prophets. But look, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to meet a prophet to have a relationship with God in your life. We mentioned earlier that you can have a relationship with the Spirit of God, and that's the whole idea behind the new covenant. You shouldn't need a bunch of people to tell you what God's will is for your life when God's offering to enter that relationship with you and tell you directly Now, sometimes we don't listen to God, so he might send some prophet to get out the spiritual Q-tip and take the unspiritual wax out of our unspiritual ears to get us to listen better. But that's not the way he would prefer to do it. He would prefer to just speak directly to you. And I know it sounds bizarre to talk about a God who speaks, but think about it. We speak. Dana and I are speaking right now. Can we do something God can't do? So there's a lot of people that say, I have no trouble believing in God, but I have a lot of problems with a God who would speak. Well, if if he's God, he certainly can do anything we can do and far beyond. So he can speak. Why wouldn't he speak if he loves us and cares about us and wants to guide us? So that's just another way to look at it. This question goes a little bit off of that in that uh, this question was about the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came to us, why did the Holy Spirit have to wait to come to human beings? Well, the Holy Spirit has always been interacting in the world. And it's not that he never came to to human beings, but under the old covenant, it was different. The relationship was had by prophets and in some very rare cases, kings such as King David, who was one of the few kings who really walked with God and even he, not all the time. And even to obey, like even under the law of Moses, again, this was a way of accepting and believing in Christ before he came. So You had these two parts to the law, the moral law, the ritual law. People would blow the moral law all the time because we're sinful, but they understood, well, okay, if I I fall short on the moral law, I'll at least go and I'll, I'll make an animal sacrifice and bring something to the tabernacle. If they stayed faithful within that check and balance system, God would say, you followed my law. But you see how much grace was built into that with the animal sacrifices predicting what Jesus was later going to do. But to even do that, human beings are so lost in their sin that to even do that much, the Spirit of God was working with people. Think of your conscience as a radar. 
think of the spirit of God as what the radar hones in on. So that was going on back then. What's different now is that there's much more to it. It's not just that the Holy Spirit will interact with the conscience with everyone. Those of us that give our lives to God and in a sense sign the dotted line and say, I want to leave the orphanage. I want to allow God to adopt me as his child. They're giving permission for the Spirit of God to come into their hearts and start changing their thoughts and changing their motives. And in that sense, that depth of a relationship is qualitatively different than what people had in Old Testament times. If you looked at a prophet in Old Testament times, yes, the kind of relationship that a prophet had, now anybody can have. So the Holy Spirit's always been around, but this promise of a special guardian relationship, that's what's different under the new covenant. Okay. And I know that you have said that church is like the international embassy of heaven and that you don't I mean, mean a church pay, called the International. Oh, you no, mean no, no. Church with a capital C, uh, the church all over the world. Yes. Yeah. It's in, supposed to be like a heaven's embassy here on earth. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit more and what you meant on that? Yes. Well, now heaven is a real place. It exists in some other kind of dimension or outside of time or both probably. And it's a place where we're going to go when we die and we're going to rise from the dead. But in the meantime, we have this relationship with God now. So when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And when he says, I come to offer you eternal life, a lot of times people think their eternal life starts on the day they die and go to heaven. No, it starts now in this life, in this mortal life, confined by time and space with God, but then continues after we die, then we will be resurrected from the dead just as Jesus was, will be brought into heaven. So in the meantime, what is the church? Church doesn't mean a building. I know there's a lot of buildings that we call church buildings. A church could meet anywhere. They could meet on a beach. They could rent out some hall somewhere. But the church is the people. And when and yeah, we, we usually do meet inside of a building, but it's the people that are the church, not the building. It is God's community. When you give your life to Jesus, God becomes your heavenly father. But anybody else that gave their life to Jesus, God became their heavenly father too. So you have a bunch of brothers and sisters. Or think of Jesus as the king of the kingdom. There's other subjects in the kingdom. So the other subjects, the other brothers, the other sisters, our love and fellowship and camaraderie with them is supposed to be so rich and so deep and give us such a feeling of belonging that we feel like we're in heaven right now. Now, we're still living in the world. There's still war. There's still disease. We're still mortal. We can still cut ourselves and bleed. So a lot of things physically will be different when we get to heaven. But the love, the community, we're supposed to be tasting that and experiencing that right now. So here's what I mean, Dana, when I say it's like an embassy. If I were in another country, and I got into some kind of trouble, but I could make my way to the American embassy. Technically and legally, I am in American territory. But in reality, if it's somewhere in Europe, obviously I'm not really in America. America's on the other side of the world, or at least the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. But technically, legally, I'm in American territory. That's the way we're supposed to feel when we go to church. When you go to church, you're supposed to feel like you've gone to heaven. Now, do most churches live up to that? No. Why? Because of human (laughs) beings like me and like you and like all of us. I always tell people, well, I didn't coin this phrase, but it's a good one. If you find the perfect church, don't join it. 
you'll ruin it. We, we have human beings, we have sin, and so it, it's imperfect, but that's what we're striving for. I will say this, there are churches that give you a really good sense of community and love, and there are people who feel that way when they go into church. Then there's other people that go into churches and they're bored to death or they find people stuffy. Sometimes you meet people that are going to church and they're not really Christians. They're calling themselves Christians, but that relationship with the Holy Spirit that I'm talking about, I, I first experienced that relationship in college. I went back and started telling all my friends and I had friends in almost every denomination. I told Baptist friends, Catholic friends, Lutheran friends, none of them knew what I was talking about when I said I had a relationship with God. They were saying, well, Bob, you come out of a Jewish background and so you're going to get kind of excited for a while and eventually you'll catch up and be where we are. And I'm thinking, oh God, keep me from becoming where they are. No, and they, they're nice people and they were very sincere, but they, they just were sincerely blind. They, they did not know what I was talking about. And yet I wasn't talking about anything that isn't right in the scripture. And it's all over the scripture, the need to be born again, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But I'm, but all to say you can go to a church and uh, going to church no more makes you a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you an automobile. It's a transformation from within that makes a person a Christian. And I think one of the things that makes church special are the relationships that you have with other people. Certainly Bob's Sunday school class, we have just so many wonderful people in our Sunday school class. But we're an imperfect class. We are, we're not, I'm not absolutely. saying if you walk into my class, no. you're going to mistake it for heaven. But we but we strive to have that kind of close, and a fun community. It's a fun people community. People have a sense of humor. A they don't act holier one. than thou. They don't try to act spiritual. Oh, no, you just feel like no. you're welcome. That's it's what we Supportive. You're cared about. We check in on each other and pray for each other. It's it's just, you know that there are other people that are lifting you up and caring for you as we care for them. And yeah, no, those times are great. And it made me think about when you started talking about, you know, our eternal life, when that really begins. Yeah, it's I only alluded... in our humanness we yeah. have a termination point. No, that's a good point. Right? Honey. I alluded to that a little bit earlier, yeah. but you're, that's a good thing to bring up again because... Yes, eternal life begins with your relationship with God now, and then it lasts for all of eternity. Yeah. I had a person say to me one time, he says, I just, I don't think it's fair that just because I don't give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm not going to go to heaven. And I told him something he never, I don't think he ever forgot. I said, friend, you don't want to go to heaven. He goes, what do you mean I don't want to go to heaven? I said, you, I think you have this false idea of heaven. You seem to think heaven is this place where you're going to sit around and women are going to fan you with leaves and stick grapes in your mouth. I said, heaven is a place where you're going to serve and obey God for the rest of eternity. I said, you obviously don't even want to serve and obey him now. What makes you think you're going to want to do it for all of eternity? Hell is a place where you'll be all by yourself and God will leave you alone and everyone else will leave you alone. You know what he said to me? He stopped for a moment. He said, that sounds fair. Yeah, we. I actually just shared that with a woman this week. We were talking about that and talking about heaven, and this person was really surprised to hear that we would have a purpose in heaven, that we weren't just going to sit around on clouds and strum harps. Yeah, and we're not just Clarence the angel trying to earn yes, our wings. That's Hollywood. It it's, is. So, heaven is a continuation. Imagine what human life would be like if nobody ever died, if there were no sickness, no war, if we had stayed in paradise. It's a return to the paradise that our ancestors forfeited. Yes, which will be a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, and I I just can still see the surprise in her about, wow, we'll actually have a, per like uh, we'll be doing things because she was expressing how she felt purposeful here on earth. 
and feels productive when she does things and um, is able to give and help. She loves serving other people, and she's not even a Christian, and but she loves taking care of other people. And so she was surprised to hear that that passion could continue in heaven and that she could actually continue on with the gifts that she's been given. Yeah. And so on. It was very interesting now, for there'll her. There'll be all kinds of things about the galaxy and that life that we can't even conceive of now, I too. But God is giving wait. us a yeah. taste, a taste in, in the good relationships we've had with people. But also, as far as beauty goes, when you go out to the beach or look at a sunset or look at the mountains or you're in the forest, you're getting... Or you just look up, at, you know, when I pray, I like to go outside in the backyard at night and just look up at the stars. That's giving you a taste of the majesty and glory that, that God created. So I, there are physical and scenic tastes that we get too. But I, I would say the most important thing is that sense of family and community that we're going to have together in heaven. Yeah, and that relationship with God, just being able to be there. And it is, it's, it was interesting to try to explain what I thought heaven would be like to a person that has no concept of heaven and doesn't, she didn't believe in heaven or hell and said that. I don't believe in that. And so trying to just express what it might be like. And so I realized my words were very inadequate for what it probably will really be like. I just know I am very excited to be looking forward to being there. And I'm sure it'll be more than I can even imagine. And I know it'll be great. And that's good enough for me. But I do need to get better at being able to explain it so I can I, be clearer I talking Dana's to someone else. Dana's always saying she can't explain things. She explains things just fine. She does a wonderful job. And I'm looking forward to the fact that I will be able to be with somebody wonderful like Dana. See, pe- people say they don't believe in the afterlife, but I've done enough funerals to know that they really do. I've done funerals where I've actually spoken to people who've told me they're atheists. And I've said, look, and as part of the, and of course, I'm not out there trying to convert people, but I'll just say, just think of this loved one, whether it's their mother or their father, and try to imagine that the universe is going to go on and this person's never going to exist again. I said, they were so full of life and vitality. You can't really imagine that. You know, if you look in your heart that they're alive. So where the Bible says God has put eternity in our hearts. I think that's a great place to end. Sweetheart. You need to come on the radio more often because you're the best. Well, thank you for answering all of these questions. These well, are great. Thank I, you so I, much. I, and thank you to those of us in, in our classes and all over that we got these questions from. They're yeah. so profound. I thank lo- you. I love questions. I love giving answers. Well, more next week on The Bob Siegel Show. See you then. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.